All right, everybody, here we are. Season 6, Episode 3, Oathbreaker. Yeah, closest thing to a Zeppelin song. And, and I think uh, it might even be a Led Zeppelin song. Uh, should be. Uh, could be. Would be. Could it, would it, in a Zeppelin song? Was it, was it, laying along? It would they, could they? Would you, could you sing along as the, the 70s music? Hey, I'll just stick to boring podcasts, you're right, guys. Anyway, oh, I got to hit the lights here. One second, folks. Uh, you know, I'll pause it. You won't notice, but. All right, sorry. The lights had to be plugged in, too. All right, so this opens with the, we see uh, Sir Onion's, Sir Davos's face, the Onion Knight's face. He's breathing slow. And the camera pulls back, and Jon Snow is lying down, and he's breathing too. And then he sits up, and then there's a side shot of him breathing, a lot of breathing. And, oh, I guess I should uh, talk a little bit about this episode real quick. Uh, my impressions on watching it uh, a few times is that this might be one of my favorite episodes ever. Uh it just for some of the moments we shared with these characters. Uh, and there was also a ton of life lessons in there. So if I'm going to rewatch the episode, might as well have a lot of su- subtle glory to it. It has some action too. And like maybe I'll accidentally absorb some life lessons. And just, just a, geez, uh, just a, uh, Furious, well, I don't know if furious is the right word, but a display of acting, of high-caliber acting and directing and everything in this episode. Uh, but there are so many life lessons, I honestly couldn't keep track of them. And, I'm not, and this is no uh, irony-free zone, too. Okay, so side shot of him breathing. Then we see Onion Knights framed in the doorway. So this already brings up this great question. If you if you haven't had the pleasure of watching them to back to back, which I didn't, but I did, you know, re- do a rewatch not that long. So he had he was the last one to leave. Did he make it out of the room or did he pause and look back? You know, uh, it just leaves a nice question. You know uh, about uh, uh, Sir Davos because he's not only a truth teller; he seems like a keeper of hope in some sense, uh, at least for the time being. Uh, but he's framed in the doorway. He's out of focus. Then the focus pulls to, uh, I don't know if it pushes or pulls, but then Sir Davos, Onion Knight's in focus. I just wrote Onion for all that. I knew a guy whose last name was Onions. I, I loved uh, calling him Onions. So if you, if, you, if you have the last name Onions, probably just best to avoid me. Uh, John realizes... Uh, like gravity, he, he hits him. He's tired. He, he's cold. Uh, but the onion takes care of him, wraps him up. He, he's uh, keeping him warm. And then the red woman comes in. She's like, holy mackerel. And she gets on her knees. She gets close to John. She's like, geez, where'd you go? And he goes, nowhere. There's nothing. Uh, nothing at all. And she goes, well, you're back for a reason. And she goes, maybe you weren't the one who's promised, or maybe Stannis wasn't, maybe you're the promised one. 
And then Davos puts it, he, he didn't really put a stop to it, but he goes, I think he already did clear the room once. He says, give us a moment here. And again, this was started out so strong. This is one of my favorite scenes of all time. I mean, I guess because Davos is my favorite character. Uh, but he says, uh, he goes, hey, you were gone. Now you're not. And pardon my language, but it was so key to this. He goes, and he goes, that's uh, completely effing mad, seems to me. He goes, if, and this is the life lesson number one. He goes, if that's how I feel about it, I can only imagine how you feel about it. Then Je- then we have Jon Snow stepping right in. He goes, well, I was doing what I thought was right, and then it didn't work out for me. And he says, well, geez, I'm now I'm back here. Why? And I says, well, I don't know. He goes, well, maybe we'll, we will never know. What does it matter? You know, you got to keep going and, and keep it going. And Jen says, well, I don't know how I did it. This is a huge, oh, and especially when you think about Davos's history and who he's lost, like, he says, John says, well, I don't know if I could do that. You know, I kind of failed. And I thought I was doing right, but it didn't work out. Uh, and Davos says, good, now go fail again. Uh, let me see any other physical notes. Onion clears or closes the door. Oh, he pulled over a stool and sat down to start talking. Then I put uh, four stars, life lessons, uh, four exclamation points, X meaning times, three or four or five life lessons in there. Like John accepting responsibility, Davos kind of saying, well, Jesus, I feel weird about this. You must feel weird about this. Uh, John saying, I tried to do what was right, but it didn't work. Davos says, you've got to keep trying. That's five. Uh, then John goes out uh, of, uh, into you know, court, uh, whatever they call it, uh, uh, Castle Black, uh, on Davos's arm. Everyone's gathered around. Tormund rolls up. He does, gives us a little like a humor relief. Uh, but he's also, you know, hesitant. And then Ned is even more hesitant. Uh, he goes, geez, your eyes are still brown. Are you still in there? And Jen says, I think so. I don't He's still shocked as well. He goes, yeah, uh, keep me here. Ned says, yeah, you're funny. Really, are you still in there? And uh, he triple checks. Then we see a ship in a storm. There's thunder, there's rain, there's waves. Gilly's loving it, looking out the window, but Sam's sick. And they talk about uh, where they going, and Sam's like, we're going to my house, you know, we're not going uh, where you thought you were or you're going, because I'm going to go to Citadel, they won't let you in. And I guess that was a little bit tough to, for me to follow about Old Town. And it was like, was he leaving her at home, or is he giving up his dream of becoming a maester? Um... He says, well, my mother's a kind woman and my sister's lovely. They'll take care of you both. So I guess there you go. There's your answer. But she says, you know, we're to, you said we were together. And uh, Sam says, well, I thought, I wanted, you know, I want to keep a little Sam safe. And he goes, I have to become a maester so I can help John and everyone else in the world. And Gilly says, well, I don't care about that. Well, I kind of care about them, but I care about you and me. Or no, 
or something. I, I, you know, I trouble following it. And Sam says, well, geez, I wish you were going to be more mad about it. And she goes, uh, we trust you. And Sam says, well, it'd feel better if you got mad. And she goes, I, I don't get mad at the father of my son, which was a nice scene. And uh, then we have two nights peeping. Is that what it says? Peeping? Prepping, I guess it says. Horses on charge. Uh, Brain and the Raven are watching. And Brand's like, yeah, it's my dad. And then Raven says, well, that's Howlin' Reed, Mira's father. And like, this other guy, Sir Arthur Dane, the one that's waiting for them, the sword of the morning, best guy my ever father ever seen. Then they have a bad, young Lord Stark and this sword of the morning go back and forth about battles and the usurper and... And they're kind of like, Stark's like, what are you still doing here? Like, and what's it with this tower? And he, where's my sister? You know, I just want to get this over with. And uh, it's a hauntingly good scene. Because uh, the Sword of the Morning says, I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. And I love how that's already been said in the show. And he says, uh, and so it begins. And then... Lord Stark says, no, now it ends. And then they go back and forth, and Bran and the Raven are watching. He says, he's better than my father, far better, the Raven says. And Bran says, but father beat him. And then the Raven says, did he? And Bran says, yeah, that's what the, I've heard the story a thousand times. But then it's like, uh, it's not as simple as Bran thought or the story that Ned had told, Mr. Honor. Uh, Ned actually has this shame face at the end. Then they look to the tower. And he says, what's in the tower? And then the uh, Raven says, we got to go home. And uh, Rand says, no, no, no. And he calls to his father, and his father turns around. And the Raven has a pain face uh, when he says that. And he stops Bran, and then they're back. And Bran's not happy. He goes, I want to go back there. And he goes, no. And he goes, well, he heard me. And the raven says, well, maybe he heard the wind. He goes, the past is already written. And then Bran's like, what's in that tower? I want to go back. And he goes, you you stay too long or where you don't belong, you'll never get back. And Bran's like, well, why do I want, to, I want to be here? I want to be floating out there in the world where I can run around and do stuff. What I want to talk to an old man in a tree for. And Raven says, you think I wanted to sit here for a thousand years watching the world from a distance while the roots grew? And he goes, well, why did you? He goes, I was waiting for you. And Bran says, well, I don't want to be a, a tree man, a thousand-year-old tree man. He goes, oh, no, you, you don't worry. You're not going to be here forever. He goes, but you need to learn, you know, Yoda style. And Bran says, learn what? He goes, everything. I really liked how he said, stay too long where you don't belong. It's just a nice cadence to it. Then we see giant horse statues, a central roundhouse as the horde returns. Uh, Khaleesi goes in, she faces the head widow or the Kaladosh or whatever. 
They take her kind of clothes and her jewelry. They give her a uniform. Uh, Khaleesi's kind of ticked off, but they already know who she is. And they go back and forth. Let me see what this says. Our our Khaleesi studies the the lead woman quietly. And then she says that they're kind of going back and forth. Like Khaleesi's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I got stuff to do. I'm the Khaleesi, you know, and I'm not just a, you know, I'm just a passive character. And then the woman is kind of a little patriarchal. She says, well, we always thought we would be by our cow's sides ruling the world. It's nice she had that fantasy too, but it's not true. And then Khaleesi kind of picks up, you know, Khaleesi thinks fast. She says, oh, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't really have any big plans. Anyway, I don't know where I'd go. I'm supposed to be here with you, you, you know. And, and then the woman says, well, you're really in the fate of the other guy. You don't, you're not definitely staying here. The, the, Kyle's got to decide what you're going to do, which is kind of like weird. She's like, I mean, it's like, oh, wait, her fate is in the hands of these dudes. That's not our Khaleesi, you know, so it is not known. And she looks a little uh, sad. And then we have a nice Varys is sitting on the side of the stairs. Just nice. He's, you know, he's off the side. He's fanning himself. And our friend, our lady friend from the Great Grey Worm Fake Out, anybody that's been with this show for a while, the Great Grey Worm Fake Out of 2015 from season five, where I thought they replaced Grey Worm for five seconds. And there's really some great screen dialogue. Is that what I put? Great something dialogue. Um, before we get to dialogue, there's two burning chandeliers on either side of the stairs, way up high. A lot of life lessons in here, too. Uh, Because Varys is basically like, hey, first he starts to ask Smoo, you know, he says, yeah, you look lovely. How'd you get up all the stairs without breaking a sweat? And she gets, she goes, get on with it. And he goes, well, I'm not here. He goes, I'm just here to get some answers. He goes, I do that by making people happy, Vala. And he goes, I know everything, so let's not waste any time. He goes, you're, he goes, you're an independent thinker, and but you've done some things wrong, so we got to resolve this. And she's like, these are foreign invaders in my, my this is my homeland. Uh, and he goes, I understand. He goes, well, that makes perfect sense from your perspective. I have a different perspective. And then, to holy light, I mean, what an episode. He goes, uh, it's important you try to see things from my perspective just as I try to see them from yours. And he goes, and then we'll all win. He goes, I'm trying to create, he goes, this is, he goes, you know you what the Harvard negotiation project is or whatever that Scooter doesn't understand? He goes, or, he goes that's what I'm trying to do here. Hey, win, win. Say, man, I could do this guy. Who, what, what a good use of his skills. Like, who, who knows? He could be like in, like somewhere in Jersey running logistics, you know, if we didn't have Westeros. Thank goodness. And he goes, well, I want to make sure you and your family are provided for. So just tell me everything, and then I'll give you this bag of silver, and you guys can hit the road, go live somewhere nice in Pentos. And he goes, we'll have to have somebody carry it for you, but a boat's going at dawn. And let's see if I have anything else. Uh, 
perspectives. His hands were behind his back. He's working the room. Kicks the bag of silver. Those were all nice uh, uses of the space. We have to ask one of our friends. Uh, then we have Tyrion, Grey Worm, and Missandei. A little bit of a humor scene. Good one, though, with its awkwardness. They're like a couple of androids, these two. Missandei and Grey Worm. And Grey Worm is extremely boring, just like me. So I'm like, that that could be a positive thing. Because uh, Tyrion's like, hey, let's play some, let's have some fun. You know, let's talk. I love conversation. I remember when people that love conversation run into me. This is the exact same thing happens. You know, they say, I love a good conversation. I say, patrol. I go on, I talk uh, patrol. And it's a it's good for the sign if if Missandei was actually a fictional character, I would have a chance with her because even though I don't have all the other good things about Grey Worm, I'm boring. And I could do that was like, uh, it's my podcast, Patrol. We go, we talk when I go on patrol. And Tyrion even says, well, that's more of a report, not a conversation. And they kind of talk about games. It's a very playful scene. It's really good. Uh, and just the tension and their awkwardness. And there's also a power thing, right? This is some rich guy who's had all the opportunity in the world. So there's like this interesting dynamic uh, there where they're like, just like this lifestyle doesn't compute for us, dude. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting. Uh, but then Varys rolls in right in time to save the day. And he's like, I found out, you know, he goes, this is, you know, just like we saw, it's all the rich guys causing the trouble. And they're like, well, how do we do this? Hard power, soft power. And then Masande, which calls back to the beginning of the scene, because Tyrion says, well, you speak all these languages. Are you good at conversation? And she says, the masters only speak one language. Spoke it for many years. They know it better than my mother tongue. We got to speak it back to them. And they say, okay. And then the Grey Worm says, so you fight them? And they say, possibly, possibly. He goes, it's a conversation. And then Tyrion's got an idea. He goes, hey, you got some birds you could send out to these? And uh, Varys says, uh, of course, men can be fickle, but birds I always trust. And then we have this great, uh, like, uh, Dickensian part right here where there's kids in a basement with the mad science. It's so cool. What a kid's dream. They're in a the mad science lab. Mad scientist is there. He seems like he's being actually kind to them and taking care of them. I mean, in a manipulative way, but in a win-win way, maybe. So they're playing with the mad scientist stuff. He's like, hey, you know, he's giving them some basic medical care. And he says, who wants some candied plums? The candy plums are in cool wooden boxes, it looked like. And this is Clyburn. He's got a really nice voice, too. Real, really good cat. I mean, unbelievable casting. Because uh, he says, candy plums, wooden boxes, uh... And then uh, Circe, Jamie, and Sir Gregor come back. Or they say, hey, is Lord Varys coming back? He goes, I don't know. And they said, well, he was. we were his little birds, and then that's when they get the candy. And the candy's from Dorne, an irony. But then, you know, Gregor comes, and the kids are just staring at him. It's a hilarious scene. He goes, oh, this is Sir Gregor. He's friends with all my friends. He goes, run along. 
And then Cersei's like, what's going on? He goes, I got the little birds going. And then Jamie kind of pesters Sir Gregor, uh, which was weird. But then Sir Gregor kind of turns his head to Jamie, and Jamie's like, whoa, boy. And Jamie's like, let's take on this issue head on. And then Clyburn and Cersei are like, no, 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 no. Uh, we'll figure out some other, we got a plan here. And Cersei's like, you got the birds here. I want them everywhere else. So start doing something. If someone's planning on making our losses our gain, their gains, I want to find out. Someone's laughing at me. I want to know. Uh, so she's serious now for action. But it was interesting, like, so Kyburn's watching her, and he looks down when she's, like, very aggressive and he and then he looks up at the end of the scene and he has this like interesting look on his face i couldn't tell if it was like uh like a pleasure in being able to serve her or a devious look then we have one of the characters i hate the most just not in a character way just in general blubbering maester Pycelle. he's tattletaling telling everyone they didn't listen to his advice you got Sir Kevin there, and the Tyrells, Mason, uh, oh boy, um, Diana Riggs' character. And they're having a little council meeting on Cersei, Gregor, and uh, Jamie Bargin. Jamie's like, I'm the head of the Kingsguard, so I can be here. So they all sit down. So Sir Kevin's like, okay. Well, first, of course, there's the thing. Cersei's like, I'm queen. And they're like, no, you're not. You're uh, you're mixed up. But then uh, Sir Kevin, I think he's Sir Kevin, whatever, the Lannister. He's like, All right, we're out then. We're not going to sit here. It was just a little uh, funny scene. Like Cersei's like, what are you going to do? And uh, we got a lot to work on. But she was also laying, like, planting seeds, so... It was interesting how she was planting her seeds, you know, about atonement and all that. Uh, then we have Tom and uh, Sparrow's praying in his old downstairs, like, uh, grotto of prayer. And Tom enrolls in with some guards, and Tom starts making de- demands, like he just went to an assertiveness training class. And I could, this was exactly like what my real life is like with podcasting, if anybody wants to know. I mean, this is literally, you know, luckily I have the mystery bard now. Because otherwise, that's exactly, I'd say, how dare you, just like Tom and like utter hopeless, assertive, hopeless assertiveness, pointless assertive, hopeless point. I mean, so, but it's not fiction, unfortunately, in my case, but. Uh, he also was poor Tom is constantly getting manipulated. I think that's why I have a little more edge than Tom because I'm like, well, I won't be manipulated. This meeting's over. At least he has some softness. So, you know, Sparrow kind of uses another good life lesson on people skills, though, because uh, he says, hey, let's just talk. I totally love your mom and how she deals with you, man. Like, uh, just like we have the mutter here. I put a, Sparrow uses, oh, yeah, Sparrow uses the old argue with the petulant madman routine. That's what people, but then he says, another clearing the room. This is like our third clear the room. 
He says, give us a room, boys. And then it's Mother's Day when this episode came out. He's kind of using this Mother's Day metaphor. He goes, well, your mom's not perfect. She loves you more than anything in the world. Uh, Her love outshines it all because it doesn't come from this world. And he really gets to Tom, and it's just so interesting, this battle for Tom. And he goes, your mother, he goes, she loves you more than anything in the world. You know it. You know that's true. And Thomas says, huh? And he says, it's a great gift. He goes, I, I didn't have a mother like that. And he goes, I'm envious. One more thing for me to atone. And he's like, well, let's sit down and talk. Uh, and he goes, well, isn't it over for my mom? She's done enough. And he goes, well, I, I don't. He goes, Tom, and I don't make the rules the gods do. We just have to do what they tell us. And he goes, you know, a true leader gets all, hears from everybody. You know, no one's wiser than the gods. And Tommy goes, oh, my grandfather said something about that, but he said for him and not the gods. And he goes, well, the God worked for him, through him too. He goes, so we just got to help each other. A mother's love is more real, but not of this world. Uh, connection, bad knees. I still don't understand, Tommen says. And he goes, so why do you want to go after mom? He goes, it's not what I want. Again, it's casting. Holy moly. It seemed like at the end he had one time and over with pursed lips. But then, I, and I don't know any spoilers, but you think back to that time and asked his mother for help. Part of you just got to wonder is Tom and who's manipulating who or whom? And then we have Arya and her teacher in the like, lower section of the House of Black and White. This is kind of like a non-musical montage of training and sitting and watching and talking. Like, who's Arya Stark? Uh, tell me about her family. She had four brothers. No, three brothers. I wondered why that was important. I mean, I, I guess because it was like, well, no, one was my half-brother. Uh, then we have a scene of Arya, like, smelling and mixing stuff. And she says, tell me about the hound. And Ari says, well, he was on my list. Then he was off my list. Then he was out, off my list. And Jackin, Jackin's watching her mix the stuff and get trained. And then the trainer says, uh, she sounds confused. And Ari says, yes, she was. And she goes, well, why would you take him off your list? She goes, well, I changed my mind. And she goes, who else is on Arya's f- funny little list? And Arya says, Cersei, Sir Gregor, Sir Walder. She goes, well, that's a short list. Uh, and then I didn't know if she was talking about her. She said, you don't have anybody else on there? And Arya says, which name would you like a girl to speak? And then Arya's past her training, like she she can do everything. Uh, there's rising music exclamation point. Then our, our then we have the scene cuts to Arya's like kneeling below Barky, like the tree god, a bust Barky, a bust of Barky. It could be a poem, a bust of Barky, not Malarkey. He's the god that makes me feel so sparky, Barky. Uh, my ode to a bust of Barky, Lenore. Well, there's a bust of Pallas, actually, not of Lenore. I wonder if he ever got a bust of Lenore, though. Uh, anyway, that's the inside of this little po- po-based humor. 
Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, so Jack and his arms are crossed. He says, tell me your name, I'll, I'll fix you. And then this was a big moment for me of Arya's trust, a leap of faith here. I don't know if I could do that. It gets so rebellious. But she succumbs. She says, hey, I'll drink this magic water. It works. In my case, it either wouldn't have worked. Or I'd have been like, I would have overthought. I would be, Are you sure this isn't a test that I'm supposed to reject the water to pass the test? And then he would just, if a boy would, that's how, that's why I'm not a faceless, you know, a faceless one. Uh, Jack is Ari makes a drink of faith. She drinks. Oh, this is, this is another great lesson of this show. Like this, the, the world building that's going on behind the scenes that we can fill in the blanks. Like clearly this is like an ancient order, right? And there's a whole mythology within this house of black and white. And I don't know if it's covered in the books, but in the show, it's just like, okay, you're, you're intelligent enough to know that this, uh, this thing has a foundation of its own. We don't need to spend any time. Like at this podcast, you know, it's full of backstory and exposition, but they say, well, you don't need the exposition, bro. This isn't the exposition you were looking for. Uh, then we see Wagon, we see some Umbers, we see Ramsey, Karstark. Uh, Ramsey tries to fool Lord Umber, uh, who's like, no, 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 no. He goes, there's a bunch of wildlings. He goes, I know what you're up to, Ramsey. He goes, Jon Snow's up to stuff with wildlings. And then Ramsey says, well, you've come here seeking help again. Good life lesson. He goes, no, no, no. We're going to help each other. This is what Karstark says, or uh, Umber. He goes, he goes, we got to work together to deal with this. And Ramsey says, I'm not worried about it. And he goes, if you become fealty to me or whatever, he goes, I'll work with you, but you got to be fealty or whatever. Kiss my ring. I know Umber says, I'm not kissing your hand. And, this was really funny and really good acting. He goes, eh, traditionally, you just kneel before me. And Umber says, I'm not doing that either. I got Bran Stark and uh, and I got this wolf. Uh, he goes, he goes, we're good. Or Rick and Stark, actually. And Ramsey's so pleased. He goes, uh, welcome home, Lord Stark. Uh, let's see. Lost my spot here. Welcome home, Lord Stark. And we have John sitting alone at the fire with his old, like, shirt. He's just kind of sitting there thinking, freak, you know, a little freaked out. Uh, there's a knock at the door. It's Ned. Uh, he says, it's time, John. And John leaves the shirt behind. Everyone's watching him. He's quiet. Uh, what does this say? John quiet. Lee Shank, it looks like, uh, two first, two plans. Let me, I have no idea what that means. John Quiet, Lee Shank, two first, two plans. I think the first two people, hmm, I don't know what that means, but, uh, listens, oh, listens to the first two guys. Please, okay, there it is. John Quiet listens. Then a mistake letter, two first, two first in plan, please. Alistair still won't, you know, accept responsibility. 
He goes, why rest, Lord Snow? And he says that like that, Lord Snow. He goes, uh, you'll be forever fighting these battles. And he raises his head in defiance. And then Potato Kid, John, can barely look at him. Potato Kid's got this bitter face on Allie. There's a pause. Everyone's watching. And you can tell things are wearing on John. So he gives Ned the cowl or the shirt, you know, Lord Commander thing. And he says, you wear this. He goes, wear it, burn it, do whatever you want. You have Castle Black. My watch is ended. And then he just rolls right out. He goes, snow out. And he strides right out there. And I love the brilliance of that because it's like, oh, wait, his watch did end, right? He's not, he isn't a member of the Night's Watch anymore if he doesn't want to be. And he just strides right out of there. And that was the end of the episode. What a wonderful episode, right? Hey, here's some of the things we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to cover life lessons, uh, wooden ships, uh, great actor Mac, Max von Sydow. Uh, we're going to cover the cow people, or Dothraki as they're referred to, not in, you know, in the facts. I, I call them the cow people, but I will touch on great conversations or, you know, a couple of things we searched for didn't work out, like the art of conversation. And we really got lucky this week. There's a lot of great articles. So if you want to read more, make sure to check the show notes. I'm kidding. We got one, two. As far as our great articles go, four really good ones. Because then we'll talk. We're going to finish up with uh, Sugar Plums. And that that's like a, it's not what you expect. Not exactly gripping. But, yeah, so uh, we're not going to talk about clearing the room. Or give us a room, because they say, damn, where does that phrase, Google, where does the phrase, you know? And it said, well, those are just words, Scooter, used in a sentence. It's not a phrase. They give us the room. It echoes in my head, though, because they said it so many times this episode, clear the room, give us the room. But it turns out those are just words that have meaning when they're put in the same sentence together. You silly me. But this was a fun week to research because then the second thing I said, life lessons, that's going to be a tough like tough one to get into because I feel like you, when you search for something like that, a lot of people are going to be selling crap, you know. Here's my t- tutorial on here's how to sell life lessons. Here's how, to, how I made a million dollars selling a course on how to sell a course on life lessons. Well, actually, I was wrong because this, uh, two, our friends over at PopSugar.com had two articles, uh, both seemingly delightful, about life lessons. If Evernote will let me click through the links, thank you, Evernote. And not only that, they're contrasting lessons. One is 45 life lessons written by a 90-year-old woman. And then 25 Life Lessons written by a 100-year-old man. And they both look pretty happy. I don't think they're stock photography. I think they're real pictures. Well, actually, the woman looks like it's uh, stock photography. Could be her, though. She looks too well, too happy. But she could be that happy. Uh, But we'll start with the uh, 90-year-old woman, 45 Life Lessons. It was April 29th, just recently. Wow, Uh, April 29th, 2016 by Stephanie Wong. And that's over at Pop Sugar. It's talking about Regina Brett and how good she looks for age. But she's not in her 50s, she's in her 90s. 
But she wrote uh, these life lessons down before her 45th birthday after she went through some tough times. And then uh, over the past decade, these lessons have gone, gone viral. Uh, Mid claims she's 90 years old. Oh, she's in her 50s, but people thought she was a 90-year-old woman. Quote, I didn't notice that it was in quotes, 90-year-old woman. Oh, so it is a stack photography. I can, because I, I've always wanted to start a stack photography dating site where I date you, people I have a crush on from stack photography. But, you know, there's not a market for that, turns out, with anything, except for they said, we'll take your money. Uh, I said, well, could I just print these pictures out? And they said, no, that's, and I said, you're right. Yeah, I don't need to do that. Okay, so she's actually in her 50s. She's an at 90, but she finds humor in the misrepresentation, knowing how many lives she's touched. But these universal re- lessons might be relatable. Life's not fair, but good. I'm going to paraphrase. When in doubt, take a small step. That's a good one. Uh, life's too short to hate. That's a good one. Don't take yourself so seriously. No one else does. Uh, you don't have to win every argument. Agree to disagree. Uh, cry with someone. It's more healing than being alone. Uh, when it comes to chocolate, resistance is futile. I'm not going to read all of these because some of them I say, well, these are a little too... Uh, you know, they have money or stuff like that. Uh, make peace with your past. That's a good one. It's okay to let kids see you cry. Uh, don't compare your life to others. Uh, you have no idea what your journey's about. If a relationship has to be secret, you shouldn't be in it. Uh, life's too short to be be have pity pity parties. You can get through anything if you stay put in today. That's a good one. A writer writes if you want to be a writer write. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. I like that one. Uh, when it comes to going after what you love in life, don't take a no for an answer. Uh, burn the candles, use nice sheets, and wear uh, sexy sexy things. Over-prepare, go with the flow. Be eccentric now. I got that down. Uh, brain's the most important part of making love. No one's in charge of your happiness but you. Uh, frame every down moment with, in five years, will this matter? Forgive everyone everything. What other people think of you is not your business. Time heals all things. However good or bad a situation is, it'll change. You don't, uh, uh, your job won't take care of you when you're sick. Your friends will. Believe in miracles. Whatever stuff makes you stronger. Uh, make ch- ch- childs, uh, make good memories with kids. And there's some more there. I didn't realize 45, so I guess I'm not going to do, 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 do math first because we got this other one over here. This one's not in quotes. This article's from March 31st, 2016. Macy Williams wrote this one. 25 lace lessons by a 100-year-old man. Her great-grandfather, a 100 years old, has taught a thing or two. Andy, Andy A, that's my name. I mean, it's not the same last name, but Andy A is my name, too. I met his wife on a Saturday. They got married the next Sunday and stayed together 67 years. Had two children, adopted another son, had some great parties. 
uh, worked the way to the top without going to college, uh, uh, ran the dairy department of Safeway for the whole country. It's called Mr. Cheese, which turned into Grandpa Cheese. That's awesome. And here's a few lessons from Grandpa Cheese. Always have a good sense of humor. You can start at the bottom. Exercise every day. Don't spend more than you make. I uh, love the first sight's not a fable. Having a bad, bad job's better than no job. Eat around the mold. I like that one. Your family's the most precious thing you'll ever have in your life. Eat sausage every day. Life is delicate. Don't neglect yourself. Oh, if you if you neglect yourself, you'll spoil. That's what cheese taught me. Uh, don't be afraid to be your true self. Uh, thanks, bud, Mr. Dr. Cheese. Everybody has too many clothes. Wear what you have and quit buying more. You must forgive, uh, be able to forgive. That's good, but transferred with both of them. Uh, save some money to spend it later. Love's not always easy. Sometimes it's work. Find something comical in every situation. If you're faced with a problem, don't delay figuring it out. Sometimes if you can't figure it out, you got to forget about it, though. Make sure you're doing what you love. Don't be afraid to follow your dreams. Education's important, but not necessary. Life can be an education. Explore your world. Stay curious. Uh, try not to take yourself so seriously. Uh, his full name is William Bradford James Anderson, and the initials always reminded me to ask myself, why be just anybody? W-B-J-A. Have common sense, uh, Think about the most reasonable answer to every situation. Life is a gift you must unwrap. It's up to you to determine what's inside and whether it will give you happiness or dismay. You have the power to make that decision. Right, so that's a pretty good one, too. So thanks, Pop Sugar. Double double coverage from Pop Sugar. Okay, I'm going to read some little lyrics here, and you might get it. And this is this is looked up by the joy of Gilly's face. Uh, if you smile at me, I will understand, because that is something everybody everywhere does in the same language. I can see by your coat, my friend, you're from the other side. There's just one thing I gotta know. Can you tell me, please, who won the war? Say, can I have some of your purple berries? Yes, I've been eating them for six or seven weeks now. Haven't got sick once. Probably keep us both okay. Wooden ships on the water. Very free and easy. Easy. You know that's the way it's supposed to be. Silver people on the shoreline. Let us be. Talking about very free and easy. Uh, stuff grips us as we watch you go. All we can do is ang echo your anguished uh, cries. Stare as all human feelings go. We are leaving. You don't need us. Uh, go take your sister then by the hand. Lead her away from this uh, foreign land, far away where we might laugh again. We are leaving, and you don't need us. And it's a fair wind blowing warm, 
out of the south over my shoulder. Guess I'll set a course and go. And it's uh, Wooden Ships by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And I, I did have to change a couple lyrics, but it was written by David Crosby, Paul Cantor, and Stephen Stills, of which, uh, according to Wikipedia, versions were recorded by Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Jefferson Airplane in 68 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, on a boat named Mayan owned by Crosby, who composed the lyrics, who composed the music while Cantor and Stills wrote the lyrics. Uh, Cantor could not be officially credited as one of the joint authors on the original release of Crosby, Stills, and Nash due to legal issues. Uh, Crosby said, Paul called me up and said he was having this duke out with this uh, other guy who was managing the band and he was freezing uh, their names. And they had an argument, so we didn't put Paul's name on it. In later visions, uh, we made it certain that he wrote it with us. And, of course, we evened it up with him with some cash when the record broke. Uh, the song was released the same year by Cantor's band Jefferson Airplane on the, volume, on the album Volunteers. Both versions are considered to be original versions of the song, although they differ in wording and melody. Uh, Crosby did a solo demo with the melody in 68 in March, and then Stills did his own demo the following month with the lyrics. Both Jefferson Airplane and uh, Crosby, Stills, and Ash and Young performance songs in 69 at Woodstock. Though, of course, Crosby, Stills, and Ash and Young performance is better known because it was in the film and on the album from the festival. Uh, Jefferson Airplane performance 21 minutes in length is on the extended uh, 2009 Woodstock experience set. Interpretations, Wooden Ships was written at the height of the Vietnam War during a time of great tension between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. It's been likened to Tom Lair's We Will All Go Together When We Go and Barry Maguire's Eve of Destruction, as it can be interpreted to describe the consequences of uh, a winter, you know, nuclear style. And it's an interpretation of words of the songs, you know, they talk about... Uh, what would happen at that time? And one guy comes across a man or a woman in Jefferson Airplane's version from the other side, and they say, hey, what happened? And who won? Uh, but the question has no real meaning in their circumstances, so it's left unanswered. Uh, to, to, to keep going, they share the purple berries that you know were left behind by the power of life on Earth. And lyrics beg the silver people on the shoreline uh, to let us be. As wooden ships, uh, which uh, wouldn't, we could uh, take everybody because it wasn't irradiated. It's a bit of a grim tableau. Uh, and in an unsung prelude included on the lyric sheets, uh, uh, black sails knifing through the pitch blend night. Away from the radioactive landmass, uh, silver-suited people searching out uncontaminated food and shelter on the shores. No glowing metal on our ship of wood only. Free, happy, crazy people naked in the universe. 
So that's wooden ships. Next, I want to talk about one of the true joys this season, Max von Sydow. Max von Sydow. Sydow. Uh, just, just hearing him, his voice, seeing him, it just, I have such love for this actor and this man. So I thought I would look him up on Wikipedia at least. Uh, he's a Swedish actor, uh, born in 1929, uh, French citizen since 2002. He's been in films in Swedish, Norwegian, Danish, German, English, French, Italian, and Spanish. He's gotten so many awards across the globe, a hundred films and TV shows. He was uh, obviously in the Seventh Seal. Uh, he was in the Night and Tony's Black. And I see, Jesus, really? They, they, I mean, this guy's had a lot of impact. I mean, oddly enough, in Strange Brew, might have been the first time I saw him. But he's played. Uh, uh, through the glass darkly, Jesus in the greatest story ever told. Uh, the immigrants in '71, Apple War. Uh, he's in some other movies, The Day, Three Days of the Condor, Flash Gordon. I even forgot about that one. Blofeld and James Bond in '83. Really, I don't know. I gotta see that. Never say. Uh, he's in Dune. Holy cow, Hannah, Hannah, and her, Hannah and her sisters, Awakenings, Minority Report, uh, Robin Hood in 2010. Uh, how come they don't have Strange Brew listed on here? And he's not only in Game of Thrones, he's going to be in one of the Star Wars movies. Uh, so in 55, just a little bit about his career, he moved to Malmo uh, where he met Ingram, Ingmar Bergman. And they worked on the stage at the Municipal Theater there, and then he would go on to be in his films. Uh, Seven Seal, Wild Strawberries, Virgin Spring. And, you know, the chess scenes with with, with him and, and the other character were kind of the breakthrough scenes for that movie. And it was in these films that Saito uh, honed and perfected his craft, and then you know he 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 bounced around, but he was really just he's just a, he's just a presence. I mean, holy gravitas! I mean, all the way fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties. I mean, the eighties, holy mackerel! Even the seventies, wow! And then nineties, he didn't even stop. It was like, and he was all over. He played King Lear. Uh, wow. What, what dreams may come. I, I still haven't seen that movie. Snow Falling on Cedars. Uh, he was in, uh, wow, 2003, The Ring Saga. Rush Hour 3. I liked the first two Rush Hour movies. I, I'm trying to think if I've seen Rush Hour 3. Uh, Diving Bell and the Butterfly. He was on The Tudors, which I have not seen. And yeah, man, holy mackerel! He's also if people play video games, he's in Elder School in Skyrim. And yeah, that's that's about it. It's just just a, just an international treasure. Uh, and then we get to see him. I mean, just the rest of the season, holy cow! He's just such a 
even though he's kind of dominating. I don't know. I I love I love him so. Thanks, Max. Hey, right, real quick, I might hop over to Game of Thrones wiki to talk about the Dothrakis, uh, who are a race of nomadic horse-mounted warriors in Essos, the west of. Uh, the Dothraki are a race of nomadic horse-mounted warriors uh, from Essos, uh, west, uh, west, uh, east of Westeros. East of Westeros. That's confusing to me. And they have it in the uh, vast central plains of Essos, known as the Dothraki Sea. And their bond is with horses as such as they, uh, you know, fight, they can do everything in the saddle. Uh, commonly referred to as horse lords, and they have, you know, fierce cries. Uh, they're nomadic uh, horse-mounted warriors who send, go across the plains in search of plunder. Most societies center around the horses. Uh, even the names for themselves, Dothraki, really means riders. And, you know, the race to ride horses uh, they're developed into several nameless clans known as Kalasars, led by Akal. And they roam the Dothraki Sea, looking for pasture lands and plunder. And they frequently raid neighboring regions, uh, such as the Lahazar, or the Free Cities to the west. Uh, Lahazar is in the southeast. And they live by taking what they need, supplies, valuables, uh, they respect force and thus uh, respect only those who resist them. And they're dismissive of infantry, except for the unsullied. Oh, interesting. I don't know if that was a spoiler. I don't think so, though. They have curved swords. They use a bunch of other stuff You know, they, they can do from horseback. They don't wear armor because they like speed and freedom. Uh, Dothraki warriors live to wear their hair in long braids and only cut it when defeated so the world may see their shame. So very tough guys have long braids. They're fast, and their only city is Vas Dothrak, which we saw this episode. It's the far northeast of Dothraki Sea, ruled by the Dash Kaleen. Uh, according to this, crones and wise women who were once wives of dead calls. All Dothraki commence, uh, uh, all, oh, commerce is done in the marketplaces and all sacred rituals are c- conducted there. Uh, they don't trust salt water because the horses can't drink it. Drink it. They call uh, the ocean poison water. They won't go on ships, and uh, that's about it. All right, so if you want to be, you know, if you search art or conversation, there's a lot of crazy stuff that comes up. And then I said, well, what about great conversations? And this article over on Primer Magazine came up, Five Conversations That Changed History. And it's written by Kenyon Boltz, uh, B-O-L-T-Z. I don't see a date on it. Let me see down here. It looks like I mean, it's seven years old, this article. I think I do remember seeing 20-something. Uh, but it's a long article, but it's five conversations that changed history. Uh, I'll just try to skim it here. 
Uh, the first one was when someone noticed a new trend, trend, which was Alan Freed and Leo Mintz had a conversation in 51 in Cleveland uh, about rhythm and blues. And that, that was like Mintz owned a record store, so Alan Freed started the Moondog as his radio persona and brought rhythm and blues to a larger audience, and then rock and roll came out of that. So that's one conversation they just had about records. The uh, second one is about someone who felt they weren't appreciated, and it's about A-Rod. Who would have thought his conversation would make a milestone? A $252 million contract. Uh, if can you, you trace back to Andy Messersmith and Dave McNally, pitcher from L.A. and Montreal, it made a demand for better pay in 75 to arbitrator Peter Seitz. Uh, and that led to these staggering uh, salaries because uh, they it created the uh, a decision for a labor agreement that was filed the following summer that uh, forced the owners uh, and the employees uh, to negotiate. Uh, and free agency, I guess maybe it caused free agency. If you read the uh, book of Hardball, I guess the old, that uh, the judge's decision got rid of some baseball's reserve system where players were the property of the team. Holy cow. Uh, so I guess that's how they got free agency. That's cool. So you can read more about it in this article. And that's why the players before that got nothing. Uh, the next one's called When Someone Can Conceptualize Inspiration. Uh, in the book, uh, Self-Styled Success from Horatio Alger to Oprah Winfrey, J- Jeffrey Lewis Decker writes uh, about the term American Dream, which wasn't put into print until 1931. Uh, when James Turnslow Adams used it in the book, The Epic of America. Uh, and the quote says, The American dream is to be understood as an ethical doctrine that is symptomatic of a crisis in national identity during the 30s. As a newly invented dream calls out for a supplement to the outmoded narrative of individual uplift, which has lost its moral capacity to guide the nation during the Depression. And actually, they had an argument about using it in the title, Ellery Sedgwick, and the author, uh, said no one would buy a book uh, with the American Dream as a title. And the other guy said, uh, uh, red-blooded Americans would always gamble their peso, last peso on a dream. You can read more about it. I don't quite understand that one, but that's just, you know, how I, you know, I'm trying to read it and interpret it at the same time. Uh, How about when someone is told no? You know, characters in films, uh, some characters are mentionable, others pass unnoticed, and some can't leave our memories. And it's behind closed doors, which makes the magic uh, seem which makes magic seem almost human error because of gut instincts or unfair labeling. And that's the conversation that gave Brando his role as Don Vito Corleone. This is from the book Godfather by Gene Phillips. 
Uh, Puzo had envisioned the character for Brando due to his, due to his mystique and char- charisma, which would translate on the film. But Robert Evans, the production chief, scheduled a meeting with Albert Ruddy, producer Stanley Jaffe, and Francis Ford Coppola, with Coppola, with Coppola wanting the meeting to start with. Uh, Coppola brought up Brando and Jaffe interjected, uh, no way. And then Coppola, like I said, no, 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 I want him. You give me a stomachache. Uh, don't be stubborn. And they went back and forth. And Jaffe finally gave in. Uh, they said they'd give him a screen test. And knowing full well, Brando was, uh, you know, a different person. And he didn't like screen tests. It says, with shoe polish, a kimono, and Kleenex in his mouth, Brando did the screen test, leaving no question that the role was his. If it wasn't for Coppola's passion and Puzo's inspiration, who would have been in the role? Who cares? It's Brando's forever. There's also one about the catcher in the rye, which is definitely worth reading. Something about Bob Dylan. So this is a really good long-form article. You should check it out. Uh, Primer Magazine. It'll be in the show notes. And then for, we, we head back in time again to another great magazine, uh, The Atlantic, uh, December 22nd, 2010. Samira Kawash uh, writes, Sugar Plums, they're not what you think they are. You might remember the uh, night before Christmas, and they said... Uh, Visions of sugar plums, and authors like, well, what's a sugar plum? Please, dear reader, don't conduct. Well, this person fixed Wikipedia because I check Wikipedia, which was the author's first instinct. Because then you'll find the contemporary prejudice linking sugar plums to fruit, which is understandable that they would think they were candied plums, uh, plums preserved in boiling sugar would correspond to the term, but from the perspective of history and tradition is a confectionary travesty. The truth of the matter is sugar plums are not a plum at all, nor does it contain any plum-like substance. The sugar plums of Christmas fantasy are in fact sugar, and any resemblance to the plum is superficial. You know, if you don't know what a sugar plum is, you're in good company. Oxford English Dictionary declared the term obsolete, but it was well known from the 17th to the 19th century as another name for what is called dragué or confit. And it doesn't really clarify things, of course, the author says. All these are sh- sweet, uh, a sweet made of sugar hardened around a central seed or kernel in successive layers using a process called panning. Uh, the glossy sugar cells on candies like jelly beans and M&Ms are produced through a similar process. The candy pan is kept in motion over heat while successive layers of sugar are poured on and hardened. Jawbreakers are made this way using a sugar crystal as a seed. Uh, sugar plums are usually com- confits were made with caraway or cardamom seeds at the center. Almonds could also be a base for a sugar plum. And the resulting candy would be what's called now Jordan almonds. Even confectionery historian Laura Mason calls it confit making. 
Uh, oh, it says that it, making it as a difficult and tedious method and craft confectionery with a lot of specialized knowledge. Uh, depending on the batch, it could take several days to complete. Not everybody's going to be down for that. Uh, before a machine made candy, they were, sugar plums were a luxury good for aristocrats. Uh, there's a aristocrat's pocket between courses at a banquet. And if you dig around, the Oxford English Dictionary gives uh, some hints at the elasticity of the word uh, plum and sugar plum. It names the fruit, uh, but the first sugar plums were more by association and the size and shape of nature's plums. Uh, but by 1600s, it had its own associated meaning from, apart from the fruit. If your mouth was full of sugar plums, it meant you spoke uh, sweet but deceitful words. You got a mouthful of sugar plums. If you stuffed another's mouth with sugar plums, it meant uh, you were bribing them to be quiet. In the 18th century, plum was slang for British a thousand pounds or a big pile of money like guap. And someone was rich could be called a plum. By the 19th century, plum had been, it was a desirable thing, like money, you know, a prize. A, oh, that's plum job. Yeah, I've heard that before. So plum doesn't always mean fruit, uh, clearly, just good things. And sugar plum, by the 1860s, candy makers were using steam heat and mechanized pans so that it was easier to make big batches of sugar plums. And at a lower price, so sugar plums, so sugar plums for all, and not just sugar plums, the lower price of sugar and labor-saving machinery meant all those manner of small candies. And by a process of lexical expansion and generalization, all this candy, especially the small, round, or ovoid, it could be called a sugar plum. And that all explains the long puzzled person that uh, how puzzled is the author about the political dynamics of land and sweets in the Nutcracker Ballet Act Two. The marzipan and the chocolate and the candy cane are in the house. Why would the sugar plum be the one to rule the kingdom without the prince? Uh, but in the day of the play, uh, you know, the time of the play or the ballet. Sugar plum was the name of a particular candy and the universal signifier of everything sweet, delectable, and lovely. Very nice writing here. And they said, I don't know what the Clement Moore had when they were writing that night before Christmas thing. Uh, visions of sugar plums was a specific confection or the notion of sweetness. Uh, the lasting power of this poem suggests it doesn't really matter. Even today... When the original referent for sugar plum is faded into the historical mists, really good writing in this article, we still recognize its meaning for the excitement, the pleasure, and the childlike wonder of Christmas, all in the shape of a sugar plum. Uh, excellent, excellent. So that's what we learned this week uh, from Game of Thrones. Okay, Podman, I, I just need to know if you're going to have an adventure this week. Well, yeah, just like the last two weeks. No, 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 no. An adventure. Not like the last two weeks. Well, we got to get to it. That's the thing. Like I said, I have, uh, well, I don't, uh, you're getting like I said, I don't care, Padman. Well, yeah, Tom, and I, I, we've had two weeks of adventures on the road to Zelv Discovery. Padman.
the adventures you've given me the past two weeks have been lame, to use your terminology. Uh, so, Pounce, what do you think about the last two adventures? Say some pan. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. Send some pan, bad podman. If we are running K Pounce Radio, you would be fired. As a, you know, the man. Oh, when you went to the bathroom that time, I was watching this man on television. He is going to be a king. And he said uh, they were showing clips uh, of him saying, You're fired. And I was laughing. The way he said that it reminded me. I don't know. So I think he lives inside me, that man, your king. Is he your king now? And I, no, not yet. Oh, because I think he he lives inside me. Like, sometimes I hear him, like, when I do something and I don't hear mother's voice, but I know it's wrong, I hear something like him say. He doesn't say, you're fired. But, you know, when you talk about uh, essence, Podman, he, that's the essence of how I feel when I hear him say that. Okay, tell me more, Tom, and tell me more about this feeling. Oh, no, 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 no. You're trying to get out of the adventure now. I see what you're doing. And you're saying, oh, to tell me more, Tom, and I'm your friend. Let me help you feel better. Okay, who's, okay, yeah, uh, is there something wrong with that? You're fired, Batman. if you keep this up. Because these adventures are supposed to be, this is my escape, you know. This is where I live my life now, with these at the K-Pounce Radio. And one day I hope to be, you and I will be, like, you will work for me. And I will convert all of uh, Red Keep to Yulphone uh, Studios, K-Pounce Studios, you know. Well, no, we can't do that, because George will find out and... Uh, uh, Wace and Benny off too. We can't have ill phones in the Red Keep. And I don't know how long you're going to be. I, I get a feeling your time at the Red Keep. I, I don't know about that. Well, Padman, I told you there's a blue faced man there. Right, Tom, and I'm just trying to help you uh, with this adventure of self discovery. Like, because I think, uh, like, have fun and escape. But just not just purely escape, you know, to to have an adventure that uh, gives you something back other than escape. Because uh, I just feel, like, believe it or not, Tom, and, and I don't know what's happening with me. But I want to, I have something I want to kind of protect. I want to, actually, I don't even want to protect you. I want to give you things to protect yourself. Okay, how about it, a good adventure? Because, listen, Podman. I'm not expecting a great adventure. Now, you know, I have many servants. Uh, some are great servants, and some are not bad, and then the rest are gone. But you could be, as long as you give me an adventure that's not bad, I know, like, the man that makes our chickens is the greatest chicken cooker in the world. And when he roasts a chicken for me, it is the greatest chicken, you know, and I enjoy it, and it is the greatest. Oh, the man that makes a cheese, he's called a mangra, the cheese mangra. He, 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 he makes a great cheese, and then there is the baker. And the baker, his bread is not good, it's not bad, you know, but it's bread. 
And if I have the other things, I can. I say, well, it's not bad. Don't get rid of the baker. You live in a, you live in a very patriarchal kingdom. Doesn't mother think that there should a hey, Batman? You don't take the subject off of your your shortcomings, please. Uh, so, do you have an adventure this week or not? Yeah, no, I do. It's, it should be a good adventure. I, I, I think. Oh, you think? You, you know, that's your first mistake. So, Bounce, what do you think of the Batman thinking? Why smile? Right. Really does smell. It does. Okay, so you're ready for your adventure? Uh, yeah, but, yeah, Pounce, uh, yeah, sir, Tom and, and Pounce. Okay, let's do this. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, well, thank you for tuning in to K-Pounce Radio. K-Pounce, the uh, radio best friendship uh, of best friends, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're uh, regularly spread. Welcome to regularly scheduled program. Okay, Batman. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another afternoon of Tommen and Pounce in the road to Zelv Discovery. Our heroes, Tommen and Pounce, best friends in bravery and friendship have t- t- ridden down the terrible road to self-discovery with adventure after adventure uh, against foes and villains. But this week, they face the most uh, dangerous foe yet, the uh, Little Devil Word Game. Okay, that doesn't hurt so... Yeah, well, here's your adventure... Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Sir Pounce and Sir Tommen had stumbled deep into a cave after they had rescued so many beautiful women and children and fed them and the cats and spent the night uh, relaxing and, and Sir Tommen had entertained them and regaled them with his adventures with Sir Pounce and everyone laughed and clapped and eyes were so wide open with glee and love and envy. And Sir Tommen spent the night sleeping and eating chicken, and he was so happy. Oh, I'm starting to like this. But little did he know that as he slept at the back of the cave with him and Sir Pounce, that the cave had changed and he had sunk beyond the walls of the cave. And the cave had slowly moves. It was a magical moving sand within the cave. And when him and Sir Pounce awoke the next day, standing in front of them were four uh, men with dressed in horn suits from what you would call your underworld. They were in your underwear. The underworld. Isn't that what you work around with? And you say, if mother could see me now, and they said to Sir Tom and Sir Pounce, uh, Ha, you are trapped here forever. And Sir Tom and said, said, Oh, no, I don't think we're trapped here forever, because this is an adventure, you fools. So we will escape, right, Sir Pounce? Listen, man. Yes, listen, mans. How, how do I get out of here? Well, we are Devil's Force, Tommen. Green, blue, yellow, and red. Pick one of us and try to think you could outwit us. 
Okay, outwit. Uh, a blood man, I told you, is a venture with bravery of friendship. Those are the adventures. Choose a color, green. Which of our siblings will you battle with? Green, blue, yellow, or red? Oh, uh, hmm. it's a trick. This is a test within a test, isn't it, you fools? Oh, maybe, Sir Tommen. Well, green is symbolizes all the people that are jealous of me. Blue is how I feel. Yellow is the word mother used, so no, not yellow. Red is, is uh, I say blue. I will do battle with blue. Oh, Tommen, that's great. Uh, that's exactly what I was hoping. Okay, Padman, keep the adventure going, please. Oh, you have chosen to do battle with me. Thank you, Tommen. I am the devil blue, and I have a words of two. If you can figure out a solution, ooh, escape may be for you and your cat too. Or your rhyming trickster, eh? What what are your words? Why don't you say? I can rhyme too, if I please. And by the way, you have gross and knobby knees. Oh, such I'm in so tricky. Ah, the two words I've chosen are naughty and love. Oh, this is a trick, naughty and love. Those are two words. Do I need to rhyme? Okay, Sir Pounce, he's giving us a trick. Uh, well, what do we have to do with these? Well, what will you do with these words is what I say. So naughty and love are the words you've chosen to do trick us with. Well, that is a tough question you've posed to me. And you might think I would cower under your blue sadness, uh, before, but you would not know that I've already been down this road of challenges, and I head not to this cave, but to the great uh, journey of self-discovery, Mr. Blue. And I won't have your naughty names for me or my love, too. Uh, for love is not naughty. And naughty's not a word I like, as a matter of fact. I've been called it too, too many times, right, Sir Pounce? Sand of mine. Right, sand, oh man. You know what? Once I loved a kelp paste woman. Uh, blue. Blue face, blue. And, uh, you know, I've been a boy, blue. Uh, because I've been called naughty. You know, they used to call me. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember the things. Because, you know, the Padman taught me. He said, uh, he said, he taught me to cry it out instead of crying it in. I used to always cry it in, and now I cried it out. Now that I don't even do that very much anymore. The Podman does. Another thing the Podman does is, is he makes this face. It looks like he's uh, thinking very hard, and like 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 he, he looks like a uh, like one of those creatures in your zoos, uh, like a grimace. That's what they they call it. I looked it up with me and Sapounce. Sapounce, right? Yes, one. But you say these words, naughty in love, and expect me to turn blue too with your game. Blue-faced. I don't know. So I won't play your game. For being naughty is for children to control. People who try to control children, they say, I'm just a boy trying to learn how to be a man. How is that naughty, mother?
you know, if I have to go, I have to go. Oh, I didn't know. I don't, you know, I should feel blue because I do something and I don't know why. Okay. So I'm not having any more of it anymore because I'm on the journey to self-discovery. And I've seen my uh, myself through surpounce as, uh, as, as I've learned on this road. And just because I'm a quiet boy who thinks and, and wonders doesn't mean I don't deserve love too. And I know those things to be true now as I come into my, you know, and I could do still do naughty things, you know, just not too naughty. You know, as long as I treat people, as the Padman says, with dignity and respect. Or, you know, I'm alone. Uh, uh, or sometimes the Padman thinks he's alone. But anyway, Blue Man, okay. So uh, let me and my, my cat go. So, Pounce, do you have anything to add? Why, so Pounce, that was too many words. What did you say? H-O, H-O, H-2-O. Give us some water, too, while you're at it. Well, it's a time, and you are a tricky young man, and tricky's the wrong word, for you've shown you can believe in yourself and believe in your cat. A boy's become a man. Now how about that? So continue your journey on this precious road. Discover yourself. You're clearly no more a toad. Leave the naughty behind and find the nice. And let the love in your heart melt the ice. And maybe for the bad man, too. Forgive us and thank you for letting us see your bravery and friendship. It's been an honor. A very good, good day to you and the rest of you. I don't like you even though I beat you. Goodbye. Come, Sir Pounce. Okay, pardon me, close well, ladies and gentlemen, that is another. Once again, our heroes have done a heroic journey, but as they pass through the gates, a great rumbling comes. Is it a quake? Is it a trap? We don't know. Find out next week on uh, Tom and Bounce and the Venture on the Road to Self Discovery. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining K Bounce Radio. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program on. K-Pounce Radio, Radio Breast Friendship. Oh, Padman, that was pretty good. Tom, wait, were you, were you, what happened? That was, uh, oh, I was acting. I was acting, Padman. It's showing, you know, I, I have to work with the material you give me. But that was amazing, what you said. Oh, I don't, what did I say? I, I just went to my... I went to my blue place, believe it or not. That's the place inside me. I go to hide away from the world. So did I say anything? Did, did I do good? Because I, I had to go there because I was so upset with how bad your adventures are. And I just went there and I said, well, I'll just act it out, you know. Like instead of acting out, like you cry it out, instead of acting out, I acted it out. Wow, Tom and... Well, I hope you have some dream. You did a great job. That was the best episode. That was a real adventure. Okay, Padman, we'll just make it better next week, please. Please don't, please don't make me fire you because I do enjoy you. You know, uh, not as much as you know most of my servants, but 
you know, okay, please. You know, I have a blue-faced man to deal with. His name's like Tom. I don't know. Hi, Thomas Bennett. I'll see you soon. Okay, okay. Thank you, Podman. Good, good, good day. Uh, how am I going to get home now that you don't rue Roos Bolton anymore? Well, no, I still rue him even more because of what, what could happen. You know, I don't know, you know. But also, like, uh, is I have more powerful rage, 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 uh, Rafe or whatever his name is. So, Ramsey, you, 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 you don't get any words right, do you? Ramsey, yeah. All right, anyway, bye, Tommy. Okay, bye. So, suppose, think about it, bad man. Handsome man. What did you say? Has it later, man? Oh, later, man. Later, man. Uh, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog. It's me praying in old Scoots Magoots or whatever. And, you know, again, Crone, I guess I've been coming on strong these first couple weeks. Uh, maybe it's just you're at the top. You know, when you're at the top of the roster, um, these things happen. You know, when you're, you're, you're kind of like the, I don't know if you're the coach or what do they call when you're the person on the team, the team co- captain, team ca- god captain. Oh, captain, my captain. Oh, captain Crone. There's a secret crone. If you need him, you know, need a Captain Crone cereal. Uh, the cereal that remembers and never forgets. Captain Crone. Uh, you, you know, you, you, I, I said to last week, Crone, you're the captain of my ship, and I'm trying to stick to it, so I'm moving on. So, so guys, I'm caught, you know, I'm not picking favorites here. I'm just going in order. And you would say, what order? And I'd say, well, the one I say at the top of the show. So the crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller. So that's who I'm going with, the Miller. You know, Miller, you're the grinder of grains. You're the uh, baker of breads. And you say, well, that's, uh, that's the baker. You, you're the enabler of the baker of breads. You know, mill. We've had some mill-based adventures. You know, usually, guys, I was thinking by now we'd, have, we'd be in some sort of adventure. Like so far, I was trying to think of the advent of all oh, the fun I've had with you guys. It just in, not just in my world, you know, with the constant throbbing in my brain and my you know in my mundane existence. Uh, just kidding. I'm just kidding, guys. I just totally. I'm not kidding. That was just a that was passive aggressive. But remember, let's see. The first season, I tried to start a movement. Remember, I started, tried to start my own religion. And that did not work out good. It didn't it worked out worse than that good. But remember that all we we did battle with that alderman. I think that was the first time. Think of it. It just all it all started with a prayer, and then it ended. I think it ended up starting that strange society for older adults. And I don't remember how that ended. Then I forgot what I did to make Aristotle and Cat Stevens mad at me. But then, oh, I was imitating them. I was, I forgot I was calling myself Aristotle Stevens as a cat. So then Aristotle and Cat Stevens came after me across the universes. Uh, that was that was so much fun, and that's only two seasons. I don't know what we did, and then we uh, we tried to come up with that Midler app. I said let's let's keep it real this season, season five. You know let's. Uh, you know, I've been doing stuff through you or with you. I said, let's do something together. And I said, let's do an app and, you know, make money, start up. 
And I, that was, I thought I had pure intentions because I said, okay, what's the one, what's something plaguing humanity and the gods complaining? What's something no one likes? I'm sure you don't like hearing the gods complaining. Get used, you know, you only got eight more weeks of me complaining. And then uh, what was the other thing? And then what do humans, you know, we don't need to, we, we, so I said, let's do that app, Midler. And we would call it a Midler, and that was, uh, that looks good. It looked good. Uh, Idea-wise, that didn't happen. So here I'm in back at season six. I guess I'm waiting, you know, to be whatever they call it, where you're, like, shaking your hands. Maybe I would have a tambourine and a flowing robe, and uh, you're struck by the divine spirit. I think that's what they call it. But I'm a big boy, guys. I know it's all me. You know, lack of faith, lack of action, lack of you know all those. But that's why I'm saying this season I'm bringing I'm going to be straight with straighter than straight with you guys. And that's starting with the Miller, who, you know, I'm grown. You know, I mean, you do so many things, Miller, milling, uh, grant. You know, you take the food. You're the train. You know, you're the uh, you're the middleman of. Uh, Hey, Miller, Miller, do you, hey, let's get some private time. Miller, just Miller, Miller, praying in just to the Miller, 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 private line, please. Hey, Miller, you know, do you know anything about Mother Earth? Has anybody, have you heard any whispers about that on your end? Or Mother Continent, I don't know what they call it back there. It's still Earth, though. When you hit the ground, it's the ground. So we'll just call it Earth, even though I realize I say, geez, uh, you're not supposed to think about a plan- the planetary aspects of Game of Thrones. It's too, makes my, you know, and I said, yes, it does make my head hurt, too, Miller. Sorry, but, and yeah, I know RR would not like that. Probably would, you know, because he has a research team. I'm sure he knows. Is is it a planet or is it, you know, what, what else is going on in the planet? Because we got the narrow sea. And, uh, you know, all that other stuff. But anyway, Miller, yeah, just beating around the bush. Sorry about that. Got distracted from your prayer. It's your time. You know, as the Goonies say, down here, it's our time. Up there, you know, and then Andy, you Goonie. And there's other stuff in there, but I can't remember the speeches. I rely on other people to say that. I just say, down here, it's our time. And then somebody usually takes over from there. Well, there we go, guys. What about, so here we go. Miller, which Goonie would you be? Uh, and I know, realize that, Jesus, there's some people that say, your Goonies is too dated. They haven't seen the Goonies. So this is a risky prayer, especially since you, so I don't know if you've seen the Goonies. So who do we got? I would prefer to be uh, Sean Aston, Sean Aston, uh, Mikey. So then there's uh, Mouse, uh, right? I get Data, Data, Andy, Martha Plimpton. Uh, hair, is, Mouth is a hair guy. So then there's Truffle Shuffle, uh, Brent. You think that's it? You got Martha Plimpton, Andy, Brent. Those are the older, wiser ones. Um, so none of those strike me. Anyways, Miller, if you can figure out who the crone should be, definitely, oh, no, don't say that. You'll get us both smoted, Miller. 
I'm not even going to put what you used to put in my mind into words because it'll get me in trouble. Baby Ruth is right, though. Um, I don't think the Crone would like that, though. Let's see. And then we have Data. And Data's good at making stuff. So that might be you, Miller. Mouse. Mouse eats things. And then Truffle Shuffle. Chunk. And I say, okay. I think Mouse is going to be Jester or Hound. Hound is probably Brent. You're right, Miller. Miller, you're good. Ooh, we should have sat down one on one time before. Okay, so we got the Jester and the Hound. Barky. Barky, you're right. Who who would Barky be? Sean Aston. Well, that's me, though. Okay, well, we'll disagree to disagree on that one. But you might be right. I could see Barky is 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 human for. So that leaves you, you I guess, your Chunk, Miller, which is Chunk. I love Chunk, so there's nothing to get annoyed with. The Smith. Oh, maybe the Smith should be Data. You're right. You're right. You're so right, Miller. So you could do the uh, the gristmill shuffle. What's the gristmill anyway, Miller? Uh, so that gives us maybe an adventure. So I guess I'm not in the adventure, though. I guess I'm Martha Plimpton, which that's a guy. I could go. I can live with that. Uh, Brent. Andy. Yeah, I guess I'm Martha Plimpton. I'm down with that. She was, she's the coolest, so that's fine with me. I don't know. I forget her character's name, but that's fine because I love saying Martha Plimpton. And we'll say the Crohn's Andy, you know, between, you know, we, we, right, of course, Miller, we've totally agreed the Crohn is Andy. Yes, 100%, right. And it's even great because then her and uh, the Hound are going to get, you know, they'll, they'll be in love. Yeah, this is a good idea, Miller, because I'm not good at talking about my problems in for real. I'm better through metaphors, and I can't process them, so it's better if I process it. And they'll reboot the Goonies anyway. you got Ghostbusters coming out any month now. That's going to be fun. I can't wait. Okay, so here we go. So you got a couple different conflicts in the Goonies, which we will carry us through the season. It, you know, it is metaphors for how I'm going to deal with all my... So you have the Fertellis, and you have the Goondocks. And this fits well because, you know, the uh, socioeconomic conditions cause uh, some developer jerks or something, that slick guy from the country club and his friends and their families, they're going to shut down the Goondocks and convert it to a golf course. And so I can relate to that. So then that's one of my panics. I say, geez, how am I going to keep this podcast? So the podcast is the Goondocks. Okay, that's good. Million Miller. Holy mackerel. How did I ever discount you? You're grinding, you're grinding my brain right up and squeezing some stuff. I guess I had way too many, too much bran on my brain or whatever. And my brain's covered in psyllium husks. So, um, where were we at? So, and then the Fertellis, would, I guess they represent fear. And then the Quest for One-Eyed Willie, I guess that's the podcast. The Goondocks is the foundational, the home of the podcast. How am I going to keep doing it? I guess. One-Eyed Willie represents doing the podcast uh, as a form of certainty. 
uh, you know, that's the kind of long distance goal, but the quest is the doing of the podcast. So you're so right, Miller. And then I guess the Fratellis are both my real, I guess, yeah, we, you want to get that, you want to get that down, huh? You want to break down the Fratellis as their types of fear. I don't know if we kind of got quick. Miller, man, you're distilling. I guess that's what you, one of the things you do so well. Okay, so we have um, the guy that was in Matrix and the Sopranos, who's, of course, name forgets me. He was kind of like the the younger brother or the older brother. And he so that's one fear. Then you have Ma Fertelli, and then you have the brother that's the opera singer, who, you know, he was more likable and charismatic. How come we didn't mention Ma Fratelli as somebody? You're right. I shouldn't even say her name. You're right. Well, then, because Andy could be the maiden, and then I could be Brent. You're Lyle Miller. I cracked you up, huh? What, and me being Brent? Yeah, I should stick to Martha Plimpton. Well, it's fine. I, I can identify with Martha Plimpton, so that doesn't bother me at all. Like I said, you know, when if I don't know if you're familiar with Saved by the Bell, but I'll play at least the Turtles role in that, so... I mean, I'm totally cool with I've looked up to the kids in the hall for a long time, so drag is not a big deal. That's not an issue for me at all. So, and like I said, I have great respect for her. So, so no, I'm not Brent. Is that what you're saying? Okay, well, that's fine. So, Crohn's my Andy then. So, okay, Ma Fratelli's one of my fears. Which one? Okay, the hardest, harshest critic. Okay, I got it. So, oh no, the one that has to take, she's also the ski, she wants to take control, she wants to have total control. Okay, I got it, I got it. So she's kind of like my, wanting to take, okay, it's my fratelli, I got it. Okay, it's a distilling, you can't put it into words. Got you, Miller, holy moly, this is the best prayer of my life. Uh, we also got to wrap it up, though, Miller. No offense. Sorry, you know, I don't can't, I can't do eternal prayers. Okay, so the dude from The Matrix, he's the grouchiest one. So that's my grouchy side, right? Moody. Moody when things don't go... Okay, getting out of the moment. Okay, I got you. I got you, Miller. And then the guy that sings the opera... Okay, shadow self, are you sure? that I've, I've misused that term so many times I'm afraid to use it, Miller. But when you use it, it sounds right. He's like a joyful villain. You're right about that. He, he, could, he was almost like one of those ones that twists their mustaches. Oh, but you're saying you take, I take pleasure in, in some of this. Oh, so I take pleasure in some of these things, even though it's bad for me. So that's the part of me that takes pleasure in self-destruction or just self-destructive thoughts. Okay, I, I, you know, you're the god. I'm just, a, you know, I'm just a human scraping by. So I trust you. I mean, who would know more about a metaphorical arrangement of God's Westeros into the characters in the Goonies and interweaved with my own personal problems than you, Miller? But really, Miller, I, I appreciate it because that's what I was desperate for is a way to process the, that your help. And what could be a, way, a better way than Goonies and God's old and new? So that's terrific. So that's it, I guess. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flowing with gratitude here, Miller. 
that over the next seven weeks, everything, I'll get that certainty in my eye. Oh, I won't get the certainty. Well, if I can just get One-Eyed Willie's treasure, everything's going to be okay, right? I have this sense of adventure. I need to escape of my mundane. Yes, yeah, I can play this role. I can do it. No, I'm still, well, that's fine. She had her own sense of adventure, too. I, I'm totally cool with it. I'm not making out with uh, Mouth, though. Who's that, the jester? Well, if I had me, I mean, well, I mean, I guess so. It's so not Brent. Okay, I could live with that. Oh, yeah, you're Chunk, so we could do the Truffle Shuffle together. Like, uh, I wonder if they ever did that on set, uh, Martha and, and Chunk. Well, all right, Miller, uh, let me let me uh, conference the other guys back in. Uh, Crone, Sweet Sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, uh, Hound Dog, God. It's me. I just had a uh, one-on-one with the Miller Good news, great news, unbelievable news. Well, one, Crone, you won't be Sloth or uh, Ma. And we didn't even talk about that, Ma Fratelli. You're going to be Andy, Crone. Uh, uh, Miller will fill you in the rest because I'm sure it's confusing. And other gods, Barky, you're Sean Aston, so you really nailed it. Uh, Hound, you did good. You're uh, Brent or Brand. I get him always mixed up. Or Brand, Brent. Brand, Brent, uh, Crone, you're Andy, so, oh boy, uh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's fiction for sure. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, this one's not, because it has my personal issues. Uh, Smith, you're Data, Data, and Jester, your mouse, uh, and our own Miller is playing Chunk, so, and not playing it, I guess we are, so next week we'll kick off, uh, Trying to fix my personal issues via uh, uh, Goonies, God, God's old new mashup, a metaphor. Thank you, gods, for tolerating my prayers. Thank you for your un, un, unlimited wisdom that you, uh, you know, dole out one drop at a time. That's all I can handle it. So uh, thank you, uh, praying out. Uh, yes, I'm here to say thank you, and I'm here with my... Uh, can I call you my girlfriend? Your girl, my girlfriend. Your girl. I'm here with Yoshimi. Not my girl. You might know her. She's famous. Uh, made famous in songs. In songs I've yet to write, my dear. Uh, but, you know, I've been, we've struck up a friendship. Oh, she just looked at me and shrugged. We've struck up a companionship. We've struck up a closeness due to our similar, like she fights uh, giant robots. Well, not just giant robots. I know, my dear. She doesn't like it when I call her my dear. Uh, and I fight brain bots. And I said, hey, what, you know, why don't we just hang, you know? And I said, let's just go through the list of all the robots you're thankful for, for fighting. And that I'm thankful for, you know, because, you know, let those robots defeat them. Did you take your vitamins today? No, you don't take them anymore. You just eat uh, oh yeah, foods that contain... Oh, that's great. You're, you've changed already since the song. I think you've grown more beautiful since the last time we did thank yous. I think that one worked on her. She smiled. Anyway, let's get to the robots. You, there's a Ron H. robot who would do, turn into a building and then fall over. 
uh, Kristen MG robot. Oh, so these are all Transformer robots that would uh, turn into a jet and, you know, shoot jet stuff. Like laser jet. Oh, wow. Uh, Christy V. Oh, that robot would say victory, victory. And then, oh, like kind of like Voltron. Did it have a V shoot out of it? You know, you know they got a Voltron movie? Do you, do you know if they could have you on there? Stick to the thank yous. Wow, she could work on this show. Amy S. Robot. Oh, she would throw, what are those called? Knuckleball pitches, but it was a weaponized uh, baseball. Uh, Sean F. He had a double punch of doom, they called it. It was a drink, though. It was kind of, that was an ironic robot. Uh, Katie, she would just do, she had this move, and correct me if I'm wrong, my, my sweet robot fighter, she would say, just Katie. And that was, and then she, that was her, you know, her karate style moves. Uh, Meryl D, she had some sort of boiling, boiling water weapon, right? Not very robot friendly, though. You know, not good for the circuits, as they say. Yeah, you just laughed at that, right? Uh, HRH Patricia, you know, she had a scepter of, of a doom. Uh, Joey, he had a just Joey, which they said, uh, he said, canceled. Like, that's what he said to you, right? He said, you're canceled. But you won that, right? You didn't let that robot defeat them. Amanda, she told bad jokes. She said, here's an Amanda to hug and kiss, right? Or something. I'm mistelling that joke. I'm misquoting the robot. Well, I wasn't quoting the robot. I was paraphrasing. Thank you. Speaking of paraphrasing, the Kathy C.M. robot. Remember, that robot would uh, say paraphrase this. So that was good timing. Andrew L. robot. That robot had it would open its chest and a little Andy would come out, right? And that was a little Andy robot of doom. Cool it on the doom firstly, I guess. Oh, thank you, mate. Thank you. You you don't just fight robots. You uh, fight bad ideas. She made her smile three times. All right. Uh, Fiona M. robot, she would just say, I'm Fiona. And every, even you got stunned by how cute that was, right? Uh, Jack, the robot, was kind of like Jack-Jack from The Incredibles. He'd say, I'm Jack-Jack. And then he'd go, I, I think it did more of like a bam-bam. So maybe it was more like bam-bam. Uh, Sarah DB robot, she just had a, a, a database, a database weapon system. It was just a weapons database. But that was boring. It was painfully boring. Uh, Inling had a, a, a bell-based weapon system. That was good. Uh, Sylvia, uh, gee, she, that was a funny one because we said so tropey. She had a, they, that thing she threw. She said it's a bell jar, and I said, then I said, is that really a bell jar? Okay, hold on. I, I know I wasn't actually there for all these robot battles. It's called dram, dram, dramatitude. So I'm dramatizing your all your robot history. Uh, Suzanne S., she would dive into a pool and splash, which, uh, again, not, I don't know who programmed these, some of these robots. Uh, Ross, the robot, would say, I dress for less. 
and then to throw close, close CBS close based weapon CBWS close based weapon system. Uh, Gary D, you know, that was a throwback. It would say, What are you talking about, Willis? Uh, and then everyone, even you, he said, What are you talking about, Gary the robot? And it says, That slowed down your battle. Uh, Valerie N. It is a weird. It was like a, a pancake is throwing, like a, a pancake weapon, like a, nin, a ninja star of pancakes. Alex J. Alex J. was one of those people. It would drink the liquid, but it just and then shoot it out in flame. That was cool. Uh, Sabrina P. She had a pea shooter, but it was of you know of doom, of course. Oh, I forgot I'm supposed to cool it on the doom. Yes, you are the brightest what robot fighter. Uh, Ryan M. He would throw the book at you, right? That's what happened. Uh, well, that's, that's interesting. Uh, Shana, uh, she she was a magician, and so she would pull something out of her hat, a dove, a rabbit, and then boom, shoot it at you. Uh, Scott C was a chisel-based weapon. That was that was interesting. Sean M had two barking dogs. That was that was funny and dangerous. I know, I know it's dangerous. You, that's why you you're the greatest. Uh, you're the most dreamiest robot fighter uh, in the in the world that I know about. Yeah, that's just trying to get you. You know, uh, Jenny B. She she would transform into a giant clam. Uh, Chris O. Would turn into an O like a wheel and try to roll over you. Uh, Tara or Tara, depending on how you say it. Would you, was, that was actually an apartment building one. And then it would, uh, everybody's apartment building would yell at you. It turn, you know, robots, it turns into an apartment building. Uh, Jody, that was a hedgehog robot. Uh, Ryan H., that robot would change into three robots and sing Harmony, which was a weapon somehow. Uh, Allison M., that was a hair-based weapon system, HBWS. Uh, Richele was a moon, and it would howl at the moon, I remember. Uh, Mary D., uh, Mary D. Was that the one that we? It was. It was. It was. It was I have a weapon of mystery, and then I said, "Well, what is it?" Yeah, that was the one. Uh, Ev had a. Uh, what was that? It was. It was like a. Uh, it looked like a triangle, like one of those ones you play in the, the band. Yeah. Uh, Cassie, that was a clover weapon. Uh, Genevieve, uh, Genevieve, she had a, it wasn't that like that movie Minot's Spring? Uh, she just, uh, and she threw it at you, the DVD, yep. Uh, Cindy B, she had that mutton chop weapon that would come out, you know, weaponized mutton chops. Uh, Serena J, uh, uh, Serena J, that was uh, Blue Jays, robotic Blue Jays would, would come out of a, that was a cool one. Lindsay L, 
was a umlaut-based weapon, right? Like, I can't do it right now. She says a sleep podcast. Uh, Liz, she said she had taken uh, uh, Snowman's two eyes made out of coal and weaponized them. Uh, Brittany B., she tried to put you in a, that doghouse. It transformed into a doghouse, tried to capture you. That's right, my dear. Uh, Shaylee, uh, Shaylee, she had a, uh, a ukulele. That was, I said, that's that kind of rhymes. Uh, Ruth, uh, she, she was, she, that was, uh, she, she kept saying that she was going to get biblical. And I, I remember I said, on your behalf, I said, what do you mean? Biblical, are we going to drop OT or new T? And then that's a cause. Actually, I won that battle for you because then that robot self-destructed. Uh, Lindsay C. Uh, Lindsay C. That was the teacup weapons. Uh, Chris W. It was so. It was under. He said, "Is that Wayne's coating? Weaponized Wayne's coating? Never seen that before." Uh, Lena. It would transformed into an osprey. That was a good weapon. Uh, Andrew H. had a members-only jacket that was said it was weaponized. I never saw it because you. I guess you ended that battle so fast. Uh, Nancy P. She she had she had a, like a super. It seemed like a Super Mario-based weapon system. I like shot turtles or something, but you didn't give it a chance. Uh, Sarah B, she she had found a way to weaponize MySpace against you. That was good. And she kept saying, this is for Jon Snow in a robot voice. Uh, Shrivetsan uh, had a, that was a, it was, that was strange because it said it was a shrimp-based, shrimp-based weapon on the Barbie. And I think that was a throwback to a movie. Uh, Lauren P. She had a uh, like a it, that was a uh, I thought it was a pool testing kit, but it's it's it was some sort of p. It was gonna, she was going to try to disrupt your pH balance. Uh, Anne with an E. Uh, that was a glee based weapon system. That was one of my favorite battles of yours. Uh, because I but I was so because I had been misdirected. I said, "Oh, the show glee. This will be good." And then I said, I, nothing I would love to see more than my favorite robot fighter singing, but it, it, it turned out differently, huh? Uh, Claire, uh, uh, Claire, she, that, was, uh, that was a good one, too. Weaponized Eclair, which ain't the, the, the juicy part was, was shot at you. I liked that. And I said, how about we share an Eclair after this? And you said... What are you doing here in the robot battlefield? And I said, well, I fight brain bots. And then Marie said, please go. And they said, go out with you? I guess, yeah, I got to finish up. Thank you, everybody, and good night.